0: What a great morning this is. This is, I think, the first service that we've done this fall of 2020 and what an incredibly beautiful day it is outside. The only thing that makes it more beautiful outside is the fact that what's happening on the inside is that we having an opportunity to worship with one another and to see one another's faces, at least in, in part, and to know that brothers and sisters uh, uh, in their homes are worshiping God at this very moment. And so that's always a, an incredible blessing that we have as the body of Christ here at, at Linder a road let me just remind you of several events that are coming up october the 18th is our virtual virtual prayer summit we're going to spend time as a congregation uh, praying for our families praying for our congregation praying for our country a number of other things but it's going to be a great time of uh, lifting our voices up to god and our concerns as well as our um you know just asking him for things that would help us as people and as followers of his And of course, remember tonight is our campfire devotional. It'll start at six o'clock here at the south parking lot. And so if you'll come here, bring a a lawn chair, a happy spirit. We'll spend some time praying together with one another. I'll share a a short devotional thought and we'll have some fellowship and and enjoy a fire and some s'mores as well. Something new that is going to begin for our congregation is uh, Jared and and Clinton and myself, we're going to be getting a podcast that we've called Soul to Soul. It's just it 's going to be about a 15 minute to twenty minute discussion that the three of us have with one another sometimes we 'll invite people in to, to interview and to ask them some thoughts about things but we 're going to be talking about spiritual matters. Uh, if you were to give a, a passage of scripture or a theme passage, it might be second Peter the third chapter and verse eighteen where it says that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be a podcast where we're just going to not just be talking to you, but, you know, we're going, we want to speak to you in person-to-person, soul-to-soul. And so that's going to begin, uh, I think we'll post it uh, Thursday, and it'll start at that time there. So that podcast, if you're wondering how to get to the podcast, just uh, go to Spotify or Podbean and Google Soul-to-Soul, and you'll find us there that uh, that cast. How many of you have heard of the Large Hadron Collider? When you look at this thing that is behind me it almost looks science, almost like science fiction doesn't it? and yet it's something that is a reality. The Hadron Collider is probably the world's largest and highest energy particle collider in the world. It's the largest machine in the world. A lot of people began in 1998 finished up in 2008 in building this thing. It's an incredible Machine. It took over 10,000 scientists, over hundreds of universities and laboratories. Uh, over hundred countries have been involved in the process. Of it. It's the largest machine in the world. In circumference, it's over 17 miles long. It's 574 feet below the France and Switzerland border around Geneva. It's an incredible thing when you think about it. I was reading about this collider here, and, and I read about a page of it, and it was so complex, it was so deep that it began to hurt my brain. But I was impressed with the science that is behind this collider. The idea of the collider is that they're going to send particles traveling at the speed of light from two different directions and have them collide with one another and then see what happens. Actually, they're not sure exactly what is going to happen. I have a theory because of their mission statement that they're going to try to reproduce something like the the Big Bang Theory. But they're going to be surprised at what exactly is going to happen. CERN, which is, which is the European Organization for Nuclear Research, they said that our work helps us to uncover what the universe is made of and how it works. That's their, their mission. And like I said, they're not exactly sure what's going to happen once this collision takes place, but it's going to be something to behold. I thought about the complexity of this, this vast machine that is there, and the complexity around all the things that are going on there. And I thought to myself, how does a person gain access into the collider itself? I mean, how are you able to enter into the, pro- the project itself? And the answer to that is, is Irish recognition. It's like a thumbprint. It's a biometrical kind of pattern that is produced that allows them to identify who you are. If you were to give it a definition, the iris recognition is the automated method of biometric identification using mathematical patterns of the individual's eyes whose complex patterns are unique, stable, and can be seen from a distance. Distance. So like the thumbprint, Your iris is something that is unique to you and to you alone. Both of them are biometrical patterns in association with them, but seldom do we think about iris recognition. Uh, And probably the reason is because they don't have a large database to go through to, because most of us are not going and having our you know, data put forth in some kind of computer somewhere saying this is Richard Sutton's iris or this is Don's iris or anything like that. And so the only time you've probably seen an Irish recognition thing is if you've watched like a Mission Impossible movie or a, or, you know, a James Bond movie or some forensic kind of thing on TV, it's not all that common. But to get into the Hadron Collider complex, you have to have your irises checked. And you notice that it says it's unique, which means that your irises are unique from any other person on the face of the planet. And not only is your right iris unique, it's unique from your your right iris, unique from your left iris. They're two different things. And so, you know, it, it shows you that you are really someone really special that there is an identity that is yours and yours alone. And, and and that's important when you talk about the subject that we have been talking about over the last couple of months, and that is identity. The idea of embracing your true nature, who you uh, really are. You know, we've talked about thumbprint identification. We've talked about driver's license. We've talked about passports. And now I've talked to you about how your eyes are a pattern or a means of identifying who you are. Well, Peter, he talks about that very same thing. For those of you who are new to the series or visiting with us, we've been looking at 2 Peter, the first chapter, beginning in verse three and going down through verse 11. And in that section of scripture, Peter talks about that after you become a Christian and you've been immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins and have been added to the church, to the family of God, he goes on to say that we have received a divine nature. And this divine nature is made up of seven qualities, self, several uh, qualifying or identifying marks that, that separate you from the world in which you, you live. The first one that he talks about, he says, supply to your faith moral excellence. To your moral excellence, knowledge. To your knowledge, self-control. To your self-control, a perseverance or endurance. Or steadfastness. And to your perseverance, he says, godliness. And we saw that godliness is a devotion to God that motivates everything else in our Christian life. It motivates us to do the things that God would have us to do, the things that Peter has already said, the things that he will say, the things that other inspired writers have said in terms of how we are to conduct ourselves, how our morals and our standards and our values are to live up to the code or standard that God has established within his word. And then he says, not only add to those things in your life, but also add to your godliness brotherly kindness which I call passing the eye test. And so we're going to be talking about brotherly kindness this morning, but before I get to that that, the, that uh, individual quality itself, how do you think society views Christians? What do you think they think of us or, or see us in view of just living in the community that we live? Well, my guess is, is that there are those who say, well, you know, when it comes down to those who are followers of Christ or Those who claim to be Christians, well, there are a lot of bigots, they're hypocritical, Uh, they are judgmental, Uh, they are harsh, they're narrow-minded, they live according to an antiquated and old set of values that do not fit into the norms of society today. Now, I personally believe that that is a distorted view of Christianity. I know that there are bigots. I know that there are hypocrites. I know that we can be judgmental about things, but that is a huge general uh, uh, you know, um, uh, decision about who we are, a conclusion about who we are. Uh, we're a lot of things, but I, and I think there's times when we're like that, but that's not who we are. I think the reason why people use ad hominem attacks like that is because when you think about who we are as Christians, we do live according to a different standard or different kinds of values that are contrary to what society has adopted, to which God's word oftentimes condemns, that which we also uphold. And because of that, sometimes we get branded with those kinds of things. And so I don't believe they have an accurate, uh, you know, conclusion or a picture of who we are as as followers of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how does that fit in? Because it fits in really well with this next uh, quality. In fact, the next two qualities. There Peter says, add to your uh, godliness, brotherly kindness. Some translation have brotherly love and to your brotherly love, love. And right away you say, well, hold on a second. That seems like those two are saying the exact same thing. How does that fit into what you're talking about now? in terms of how people view us. Well, the result of how the world views us has a a, a means of dampening or tamping down the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ because it wants us to kind of hold back and to shrink back from the message of, of the cross. And yet these next two qualities are qualities that enhance and give us a message when we live it out in our lives. When we live our lives that are that we practice brotherly love or brotherly kindness, when we practice love in our lives, that becomes a message that is stronger than any other message. And Jesus said a would over in John the 13th chapter, there he said, a new commandment I give to you that you are to love one another, even as I have loved you, so ought you to love one another by this will all men know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. So love becomes a huge quality Of who we are as followers of his and has a huge impact on the world that is around us and so you look at this section where he says add to your godliness brotherly kindness or brotherly love and to your brotherly love love and like I said it looks a lot alike why does it look alike well there are huge differences between the two and that's what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning the first quality that he talks about that is kind of tied together is the word brotherly kindness or comes from the greek word philadelphia not the city of brotherly love in pennsylvania but this is a quality that is supposed to be ours the word philadelphia is an interesting word it's a two-part it's a single word but it's a two-part conjunction word it begins with phileo or philas it's a word that has to do with being a friend or being friendly or a companion of another. It has to do with a relationship that we have with each other. It's, it's, like, it's like saying, you know, I really like being with you. I like to talk with you. I like to do things with you. There is a closeness that attaches us together as friends and companions. It's a word that is never used in relationship to God. It's a word that's used in relationship to one another. So it's that word philos. And then it's the next word, adelphos or adelphoi. It's a word that means brother, a brother or a fellow associate that is united in some kind of bond. It could be a blood bond. It could be an association bond that is there. And so when you put the two words together, you have the word Philadelphia or brotherly love. And so Pennsylvania, that the city in Pennsylvania was called Philadelphia. It's the city known as the city of brotherly love. And that's probably a super accurate translation. And so the question might be, okay, so what's the difference between those two? Why do some translations have brotherly kindness where others have brotherly love and to your brotherly love, love? Well, I think that they use the word brotherly kindness to differentiate between the two because there is a difference. So what is the difference? Well, one has to do with the quality of, of love that it extends from uh, members of the family of God. So it's the love that I extend to you, and it's the love that you extend back to me, and the love that you extend to one another. Whereas the other love is the quality that extends to the entire human race, that we are to love, for God so love the world. So he loves everyone. And so which word or which definition applies to brotherly kindness? And the answer is is the first one. So the difference between brotherly love and love or brotherly kindness and love is one is offered to brothers and sisters, Philadelphia, and the other agape is offered to the entire uh, world itself. So Philadelphia carries the idea of a personal touch that's attached to it. It's personal it's where we know each other and, and care about each other. It implies a close association that goes beyond just mere acquaintance. It's where we've become very connect, connected to one another, soul to soul, if, if you will. And so it's a hands-on thing. It's not something that just kind of out there, but it's something that is very closely attached to who we are. Galatians, the sixth chapter verse 10 kind of alludes to that. So, so then while we have opportunity, Let us do good unto all men, but especially to the household of faith. So there is a unique relationship that we share with one another. Yes, we're to do good unto all men, but especially towards the household of faith. And then 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verses 9 through 10, it says these words, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do, you do practice love toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to do, uh, to, to do or to excel all the more. You don't have anything anyone need to write you about this because you're already doing it. But since you're doing it, do it all the more. So the Phil- church in, in the, the church there, you know, they didn't just feel love for one another. They did love for one another. They didn't just profess love for one another. They expressed love uh, for one another. Love and kindness and, and affection toward one another. Now, you might have noticed as you read down through that, that he says, add to your godliness or your devotion to God brotherly kindness or brotherly love. But you might have noticed that he didn't tell you how to do it. He doesn't give you a list of ways that you're to practice brotherly kindness to one another and yet the scriptures are complete with lots of ways to go about doing so for instance in the new testament along there are over 42 what we call one another passages be kind to one another encourage one another be hospitable to one another forgive one another be compassionate for one another encourage one another uh, uh, endure one another be patient with one another it just goes on and on of ways that we can practice brotherly love toward uh, one another. And so it involves a a personal touch. It involves close association that goes beyond acquaintance, and it involves a hands-on thing. And the reason why it's necessary or needful in the church is because, because being a part of the church means sometimes we have to put up with each other's strangeness. Our differences, our crankiness, our shortcomings, our faults, our odd behaviors uh, uh, that, that are just there. I mean, we have a lot of things that can really bug one another because we're different. We come from different walks of life, from different educational backgrounds, from different social statuses, different races sometimes. We come from a lot of different directions, colliding with one another and what should happen in that collision is that of love, that of brotherly kindness that uniquely causes us to, to stand out. But sometimes people we know the best are those we sometimes treat the worst. I was reading about a, uh, a, a lifeguard who was asked, how do you train or how do you teach a, a young girl to swim? He goes, well, I take her to the edge of the swimming pool and I have her just stand there and I have her watch the water how it kind of ebbs and flows back and forth as it laps against the side of the the pool. And I have her stand there for a while and I tell her everything's okay. Everything's going to be all right. I'm going to take care of you. There's nothing to fear. And then I have her sit down and I have her dangle her feet into the water so she can feel the the water itself. And I tell her, listen, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I'm right here with you I'll take care of you. You have nothing to fear. And then I have her step onto into the water up to her waist. And I say to her, it's okay. As the water flows in and out, it's okay. It's all right. I'll be with you. I'm going to take care of you. There's nothing to fear. And Then I have her wade out deeper into the water. And I do this process for like a half hour where I keep enforcing to her, listen, you have nothing to worry about. I'll take care of you. I'm right here. With you you have nothing to fear and then they asked him so what would you do then if it was your sister he was all in that case i'd take her to the edge of the pool and just shove her in and sometimes that's how we are we sometimes we take one another for granted sometimes we treat those outside the body of christ sometimes better than we do those inside And, and so we need to make sure that we treat one another in a correct kind of way with brotherly kindness so let me share with you a couple of ways that we can manifest brotherly kindness in our lives to one another. Number one is brotherly kindness must be without hypocrisy, which means that it needs to be something that is sincere. It needs to be something that is constant. In Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 9, there Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy, which means let love be something that is sincere. And so this love that we have for one another shouldn't be something that we switch on and off like you do a light switch. We walk into the church building and we're all uh, brotherly, kind to one another. We walk out of the church building and we're, we're not entertainers might be that way where they turn off the love for you and on the love for you or politicians who work the crowd. They may go around and shake hands with everybody and kiss the babies and act like they are your your best friend and that they love you and, and so forth. But then, uh, then they walk off a trail and they don't know who you are. And they know something entertainers do as well as politicians do. They know that there are people who really need to feel loved and cared for. They, are, they hunger for it and they hunger for it So much that sometimes they do things without any sense, without really thinking about it. Have you ever been to a concert? And In the concert, there is this this singer up there, male or female, and people are in the crowd going, I love you, Taylor. I love you, Taylor. If you're at a George Strait concert, I love you, George. I love you, George. And George and Taylor are up there thinking to themselves, I don't know who you are and you don't know who I am. You really don't know me. I am paid to switch on for you, but I switch off once I leave the stage. The truth of the matter is, if you knew Taylor Swift, really knew Taylor Swift, she may be someone that would absolutely disgust you, that you would not like. I know this. She has a really pure-looking thing, but she's got a dirty mouth. Or George Strait. He'll spill beer on your boots and not say, excuse me. Because he's George Strait and he can do that. And so as Christians, we need to make sure that we are being sincere with one another and that we don't switch it on and off. It needs to be something that is real among us. It needs to be constant, always there with us. Brotherly kindness meets the needs of our our brethren. Uh, Galatians 6 and verse 2, Romans 12 and verse 10. Verse 10 of Romans 12, he says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And then in the latter part of verse 13, he gives you some practical application. He says that you contribute to the needs of the saints. The idea there is is that if you see a brother or a sister that is in need of something, that you as one in relationship with them, Philadelphia, that you try to meet that need. Now there's sometimes that people make their bed and have to live in it. I understand that, where they need to maybe suffer some of the consequences, but generally that's not the case. Sometimes people are just in need, and they need to know that you're going to be there uh, for them. Brother kind of shows hospitality to one another. 12 and Romans 12, verse 13 says, Give, Be given to hospitality. Did you know that one of the qualifications of being a shepherd is one of hospitality, that we are to be hospitable towards those who are around us? And In my estimation, hospitality to some degree has become a little bit of a lost art. I'm talking pre covid days during this covid isolation. Obviously, we are separated from one another. It's hard to practice hospitality in terms of bringing people in to our homes homes. But it's something that needs to be. Uh, It's something where we need to be those who practice hospitality. The early church was big into doing that. And I think that the church in the early days was like that and a reason has been like that but we become very nuclear as a family you know the atomic family and we kind of have have our own houses and we put fences around it and lock our doors but as brothers and sisters of Christ we need to be hospitable to one another I know we're limited because of COVID but eventually that thing is going to subside and when that happens we need to take our masks off and start enjoying each other's company and getting to know each other in good kinds of ways. Brotherly kindness encourages others. Uh, It's so important that we encourage one another. you probably heard it says that some people are a blessing wherever they go and others are blessings whenever they go. And there's a truth to that. I mean, who do you like to be with? Do you like to be with people who are positive, who are excited, who have, you know, forethought about what's going to happen in their lives? Or do you like to be around people who are Are negative negative and pessimistic and always down on something or someone well I know who I'd rather be with and so we're encouraged to encourage one another in fact one of the strong points of Hebrews the 10th chapter verses 24 and 25 is there the writer of Hebrews says let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works do not forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the custom of some but encouraging one another even more as we see the day approaching could be a day of persecution that is approaching that he's talking about there. But he says we're going to need encouragement. And so as we go through this pandemic and go through a different style of life, we need to be those who take take opportunity to encourage each other. You can do it through text. You can do it through phone calls. You can do it through cards. You can do it through Facebook. Some way, find ways in which you can be an encouragement to others. Brotherly kindness admonishes one another. One of the probably the most difficult things to do is to approach a brother or sister who is straying away from the path and try to bring them back in the path. That is a strong love because a person that's willing to do that is willing to jeopardize their relationship with you in order to bring you back within the will of God. And so it's not an easy thing to do. And it's been my experience that when I've had to do that with individuals, that sometimes they're very compliant and say, yeah, you got that right, and I'm going to work on that. And then sometimes they blew up in my face, got really angry with me about the confrontation. But oftentimes afterwards, maybe days later, maybe a couple of weeks later, they'll call me up and say, you know what? You were right about that. You know, and I was just trying to defend myself. But when I get to thinking about what you're talking about, you're absolutely right. And then there are others just say, you're full of beans and I don't care what you have to say. And, and, but I tried to do what I had tried to do. I tried to do what was right and to admonish them because of the relationship that we're supposed to have with one another. Galatians 6 chapter and verse 1 says, You who are spirit, If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, knowing that you too could be tempted. And so the attitude that we go to those that we care about is important. And then finally, brotherly kindness is forgiving. And that's a tough one. When someone has hurt you, a Christian brother or sister has hurt you by their words or by their, their actions, that's a difficult one to get over. You've got to really work hard to get beyond that, that pain. And yet when you look at the scriptures, we're commanded to be forgiving of one another. Uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 30 through 32 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil words, along with all malice, be put aside or put away from you and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you you notice he talks about anger and clamor and slander and malice and wicked words or evil words but twice he says forgiveness put on kindness and a heart of kindness and tenderness and forgive one another just as you have been forgiven by god so forgiveness is so important in the body of christ especially when you think about a congregation of our size it's easy to get crosswise with one another And so we need to be working towards this area of uh, brotherly kindness that we direct towards one another. Here's what I know about brotherly kindness. When it comes to embracing your true nature, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong journey of being transformed from the old man to the new man with a divine nature or a new nature if you were to give a passage of scripture that encaptures what I've said to you this morning, it would be 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, where Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I like that because what that says is that we all get redos, or do-overs, or second chances. That was the old man. This is the new man. But the new man sometimes comes along slowly. We're constantly working on who we are. And one of the areas that we work on is that of brotherly kindness. So with your faith, supply moral excellence. To your moral excellence, self-control. To your self-control, add knowledge. To your knowledge, perseverance or steadfastness. To that, add godliness. And to your godliness or devotion to God, add brotherly kindness. The next week, we'll talk about this love that we extend to all human beings. So let me ask you, when it came comes to getting in heaven, could you pass the eye test? Remember back at the beginning of the sermon, I talked to you about the large Hadrian collider. Not everyone is allowed access into the collider. You have to have a relationship with CERN if you want to get in there. And the way they determine that relationship is they look at your irises. Do you belong here? Do you have access here? Well, when one of the quali- one of the qualifying marks if you will or identifying marks of a child of god that allows us access into heaven are these qualities these qualities that make up our divine nature our true nature so i want to encourage you to embrace it to own it to make it a part of who you are as a follower of god so that's our lesson for this morning I hope that you've been encouraged to go out this week and practice some form of brotherly kindness or brotherly love to a brother or sister in Christ. Let them know that they are valuable and important uh, to you. That's the greatest eye test or one of the greatest eye tests of all. Or maybe this morning that you don't have a relationship with God. Uh, If you were to die today, you wouldn't know for sure or not whether you'd go to heaven or to hell. Well, you can know for sure by being obedient to the gospel if you believe that jesus christ is the son of god and because of your belief you're willing to repent of your sins and repenting of your sins you're able to confess or acknowledge jesus christ as the christ as the son of god as the resurrected one and because of those great actions you're willing to be baptized or immersed into christ for the forgiveness of your sins you can do that this very morning it may be that you're in the audience and you're hearing me say this and you're saying i'd like to do that well just let me know let myself know or clint davidson or jerry mccormick or any one of our nine elders and we will assist you into your birth into christ and into your new nature whatever your needs are once you come on together we stand and sing and give you that opportunity There's a fountain free-